Christ. We have been spending time over the last year and a half focusing on the Christ, looking at the shadow, the life, the return of Christ. And then the beginning of this year, we transitioned looking at the reign of Christ. And we specifically began then looking at the spiritual reign of Christ and stated that when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it will be reflected in your life. So that what we say and how we live is a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And um, a couple weeks ago, we transitioned from the individual reflection of Christ into the collective reflection of Christ so that not only is Christ reflected individually in our lives, but as we come together as the church, as a group of called out ones, we as a body, as a group of believers, should be reflecting Jesus Christ to the world. And we saw that originally. Um, we're going to be looking at some illustrations that the church, that the uh, scriptures talk about from the, the church, how the scriptures illustrate the church as the building of Christ, the bride of Christ. And today we want to look at the church being the the body of Christ. And we're going to continue looking at this, Lord willing, next week. And then coming out of these illustrations, and as we look at the, the body and the, the, the body's interactions, if you would, we're going to be looking at the interactions of the church. We're going to be looking at a lot of the one another passages from the New Testament and how as a church, as a body, as the bride of Christ, as this group of people who are being built together as a holy tabernacle, a holy temple for the Lord, how it is that we are supposed to be functioning with one another, how it is that we're supposed to be treating one another, such that when someone comes in here, they ought to see something that's different about this assembly than they would about some other assembly in town. I'm not talking about necessarily an assembly of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about another church, and I'm not trying to put us on a pedestal over other churches. But clearly there are a lot of assemblies that go on in this city, not just those who are coming together in the name of Jesus Christ. They're coming together in the name of a lot of things. Um, and so, But when someone comes in here to this storefront on a Sunday morning, and they see this diverse group of people gathering together, they ought to know that there's something special about it. There's something special that, according to Acts chapter 2, that they want to be a part of. There's something different. We want to begin looking at that um, as we go, as we look at the body of Christ. So this illustration with the body of Christ this morning, we we read um, from Ephesians chapter 1 um, about God's predestined plan, if you would. Um, and we don't talk a lot about predestination and that kind of stuff. There's a, that mystery there that comes in the, the concept of salvation between election and free will. But still, predestination is true. And God has a, a predestined plan, that, according to the dispensation of the fullness of times, you know, that he was going to gather together in one. Um, and the Gentiles and the Jews would gather together in one. That was God's predestined plan. It was going to happen that way, and that he was going to open up salvation by grace through faith. He predestined that to happen. We're told that before the foundations of the world were laid, that Christ was going to come and he was going to die for us. So, you know, if if none of you here, I think, would debate that, but we struggle with the concept of predestination sometimes, and I'm not getting into predestination of salvation. I'm just talking about the fact that God has a what? A plan. And it's been there. And the concept of the body of Christ, if you would then, is one of his predestined plans. And in our world today, there's a lot of debate that goes on about church growth. Church growth. You know, everybody wants to see church growth. But 
honestly, within the books that are written on church growth, there's, a, there's a, again, a diverse motivational factor, I would say, about church growth. You know, why do you want to grow? What's the purpose of growing? In, in my mind, I like to go back to the scriptures. It make, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It would make sense to go back to the scriptures. What does the Bible teach about church growth? Well, God's all about church growth. In fact, what we're going to see is that that's part of God's predestined plan. He wants his church to, to grow. The question is, what does he mean by it, and how is it accomplished? Is it accomplished by creating a, a, a fancier fishbowl, whereby we hope that fish will jump in and be a part of our aquarium? We're going to get a bigger band, a better band. Maybe we're going to have some fancy music. And I don't want to pick on those things, but again, that's one of the methods today of church growth. That when you start a church, the first thing you need to get is you need to have a, a band. You need to have a band. And I've seen churches advertising for drumists, for guitarists. They don't care whether they're believers or not. They just need a drummer. They need a, Why? Because they need to have the band in order to attract the crowd. Because it's all about growing big. Because if I get the people to come, then I can preach the word to them. Maybe, maybe not. There is also then the philosophy of just preaching pablum to them. Uh, now, the people on the tape don't know what I'm doing. They just hear people laughing. Anyways, Joel Osteen is a, is a, is a master of, of, of preaching um, feel-good messages. And people want to feel good. People want to feel good about themselves. They don't want to have their steps towed their, their steps toed on. Good. That, that too. They definitely don't want to have their steps toed on. They don't want to have their toes stepped on. You know? And, um, you know, but... Very clearly, in God's Word, as we, if, again, if you were here for Sunday school at Nehemiah, you'll find out that God's very good at what? Stepping on toes. Because God has a predestined plan for His people. He has a purpose for His body. Just in the concept of understanding the illustration of the body of Christ, we should understand that. Here in the end of Ephesians chapter 1, Beginning of verse 22, just two verses, it says, And he, that is God, the Father, put all things under his feet, that is Jesus, the Son, and gave him, that is Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who filleth all in all. Jesus Christ, we're told, is supposed to be our, our head. So, forget theology for a moment. Okay? Just rip this verse out and forget all of the Bible, forget theology. Let's just think um, anthropology. Let's just think, what's the, the A word I'm thinking about with, with biology and stuff? Um, with the body, huh? Anatomy. anatomy. Thank you. I knew it was an A word. See, it's, I, my, my brain, I just wonder sometimes. Anyways, just think anatomy for a moment. What's the importance of your head? Is there... I mean, for some of us, we're looking around thinking there's none. <laughs> there is no importance for that person's head. Why are you all looking at me? Anyways, okay. So, the body cannot function. It will not live without the head. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's an amazing thing. For most of us, the brain is sit, seated in our heads. Yes? Okay? Okay. <laughs> some of you didn't catch that. It just proves my comment. So, anyways. <laughs> anyways. The, the point is that 
Everything my body does, unless I am affected by some disease or abnormality, right? Everything my body does comes from the source of the head. My brain first thinks it. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing to me how fast computers are? Now, you guys know, understand that I, my, my background is computer science, you know, and I was there when, they, when we first had monitors, you know. I mean, some of you don't have, got a clue, your monitor is on your phone and, you know, you, all these things that you do everywhere you go. And some of you are going back to terminals, which is really amazing to me. You have no computer. You have no power in your house. You're attaching yourself to some some computer in the sky with a little terminal in your hands. Anyways, we won't get into all that. Some of you are looking at me, huh? But you got to go back to the original. See, you don't understand how you're being dumbed down now. You're just accepting it. Anyways, and, uh, and, and, you know, so I'm from those days, you know, where the 64K computers, you know, where there was amazing and, and that we, it wasn't multitasking. It was single tasking. And, and when you printed a document, you might as well go and have lunch because it was going to take 20 minutes to print the document and you couldn't open up something else to do at the same time. It was just your computer was going to be printing. I mean, some of you, you're old. You're like me. You understand. Okay. Some of you are going, really? That is so archaic. How could you guys get anything done? We probably got more things done doing that than you do today because you're playing games at the same time. Anyways, sorry. Uh, now, how to make friends and influence people. Anyways, so, so anyway, it, but it's amazing to me today with today's computers how fast they are. I mean, and how, I mean, with, with telephone technology, how I can get on my, my cell phone, you know, I can reach in my pocket and I can pull out this transponder from Star Trek days and, and, and I can flip it open and say, beam me up, Scotty, you know, and be talking to somebody in Germany in real time. Isn't that mind-boggling? Mind-boggling to me. I remember when, when we first started the website, and the Family Bible Church's website originally was on, a, was on a server in Australia. Australia. Okay? And I remember one day sitting in the corner of my dining room where I would load up things and, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and someone called me and said there was a glitch on our web page. And, and that person wasn't from Augusta. They were from another part of the nation. So here I am on the phone with somebody from hundreds of miles away, over a thousand miles away probably, right? And I say, well, hold on a second. And I pull up my webpage, which is coming to me in my little dining room from Australia, okay? And I say, oh, I see that. Here, let me take care of that. And so while we're on the phone, I fix the code and I upload it to Australia, and I say, look at it now. So within, you know, a minute, talking to this person, they're looking at the web page now from Australia, which I just uploaded from my computer. It's mind-boggling to me how incredible that is. But as fast as all that is, your brain go to your body is faster than that. It's just lick it, just boom. You think it, you did it. Sometimes we think it, we said it, and, and we say, oops. <laughs> you know, that, that's my problem. I'm trying to get a delay. You know how on radio they have that 10-second delay sometimes? I'm trying to find that 10 The older I get, I'm starting to get that 10-second delay anyway, whether I want it or not. Anyways, they have the moment to, to think twice before I open my mouth and said it. And uh, so, but that's the way anatomy, that's the connection between the head and the, the body. So as fast as we, we think of those things happening, that's what is happening in my body. That's the illustration. Of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is to be our head. And we are supposed to be his 
body. Well, what does it mean? Well, first of all, we have to have that recognition of who our head is, and that Christ then is what? He's in charge. My head's in charge. My, my, my hands, my, my feet, they really aren't in, in charge. When, when allergy season kicks in, and my sinuses decide what? They're in charge. <laughs> Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. When someone suffers from cerebral palsy or um, one of the those um, muscular dystrophy, I'm, 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 I'm afraid to say any of those because I know I'm not going to say the right ones, but you understand what I'm saying, that the, the, the maladies that that happened to the bodies where all of a sudden muscles twitch and do things apart from the signals given to the, by the brain. Does it make sense? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. We understand. It's not a good thing. It's, it's a bad thing. It's not normal. It's not normal. When I was in college, I took a class in general psychology, and then I took a second-level course on abnormal psychology. And we'd study things that were what? Not normal can I can I suggest sadly that in our land we have a lot of abnormal churches a lot of abnormal bodies that are twitching and not following directions from the head and my prayer is and, and my honest question to me and to you is because again I don't want to just preach something and just you know we set up straw mans we preach against about everybody else and we don't worry about it because clearly we're perfect and we got it all settled but to ask a question to yourself as we go through this are we as a body not allowing but you understand what I mean by this allowing Christ to be the head is he the head of this local body is he in charge, and are we performing his bidding? Just as my body is to respond to what Christ has called us to do, or what my head has called it to do, so this body should be responding to what Christ has called us to do. And if we do not, if we do not, then we are just a twitching group of flesh, if you would, that the world looks at like you look at somebody with cerebral palsy. And don't tell me you don't. We all, we're all still amazed by when we see somebody and we look. And you don't have to look with judgment, but still it catches your eye and you realize what? There's something wrong with that person's body. And I wonder sometimes with the world, like, Ben, you were saying earlier with the testimony that they know, they just don't realize. Sometimes I think they know when they look at the body of Christ and they see something wrong with us, and they just can't, what, put their finger on it because they don't have the, the word of God to compare it to. But they just know something's not right with that body. And they just like, the, like to use the word what? Hypocrite. Yeah, exactly right. Just a bunch of hypocrites. Exactly right. Because they don't know any other word to throw at it, but it's a valid word. We are a bunch of Hypocrites. Even, you know, and, and as good as we try to get somewhere along the line, we're going to be a hypocrite. But the point is, are we seeking to be a true body of Christ? 
And I'm not talking about the Church of Augusta. We can go there. And I'm not talking about the Church of the United States. We should even get there. But I'm talking about Family Bible Church meeting in a little bitty storefront in Martinez, Georgia, across from the Martinez Post Office. And for those who are listening to the tape later on after this, whatever, and for their their assemblies and, and their lives, are we seeking to be a true body of Christ? And the very first thing for church growth, true biblical church growth that we need to recognize is that we need to recognize that Christ is the the head. And we are the body. And so another analogy to go with it, that he is the horse and we are the cart. Does that make sense? He's supposed to be drawing us, not us determining where he's going to go. Well, what's the second thing? Then that I need to recognize as as the body. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Paul writes a lot about the body of Christ in Ephesians. In fact, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but each of these illustrations that we've talked about the the building, the bride, and the body now have all had their origins from Paul's letter to the Church of Ephesus. And so here in Ephesians 4, where we um, saw earlier um, at the end of chapter 4 about the church being the building, in the beginning part of chapter 4, from verses 4, 1 through 7, today we're going to look at that, but then also beginning of verse 11, we'll look, begin looking at next week. But in verses 1 through 7, we read, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long suffering." bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then down in verse 11, he picks it up and says, And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery or deceit of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God is all about church growth but he wants it to be what true growth now what's the second point here then from ephesians 4 we need to have a recognition of of our charge in the charge for us as a body not individually this is written to a group but as a group we need to do it what individually right but as a group we're told that we are to walk worthy we are to be walking Worthy. Well, worthy of what? 
Well, worthy of the call, and we'll see that in a moment. So what does it mean to be worthy, though, to walk worthy? I find this very interesting, and I want to share this little tidbit side thing here. In the Greek, the word for worthy is the word axios, axios, which means that which is worthy, fit, or appropriate. And so many times um, throughout the New Testament, you're going to see this word um, being used regarding us walking worthy of the calling, walking worthy of God, walking worthy of Christ. But it also talks about um, when somebody um, um, was getting punished for a crime, the punishment was worthy of the crime. It was appropriate for the crime, okay? And so it is a concept of appropriateness, that which is fitting, that which is appropriate, that which is worthy of something, okay? Well, that... Greek word axios is where we get our English word. Anybody want to take a guess? Axiom. An axiom is a premise so evident as to be true, as to be accepted as true without controversy. That's what an axiom is. We say that, well, that's an axiom. That means it's something that is undoubtedly true. That's not even questioned. That's not even thought about. Well, so what's the big deal? You should walk in such a way that there is no doubt, and in my notes I put no Duh. You know, when people say, no, duh. That means what? That was so obvious. Everybody should know that. Well, you should walk in such a way that, no, duh, there is no doubt as to who you are and who you're following. As a body of believers, as a little local body, we should gather together in such a way. We should treat one another in such a way. We should be effectively working together in such a way that when someone walks in, they go, no, duh. This is a group of people. This is a a called out group of people who are following Jesus Christ. That we ought to have families, like we say, that we want to be building families upon the Word of God. Not upon the the common uh, teaching principles of the day, We're not going to be using the the study guides of men to teach on Sunday mornings. You may laugh, but I know of churches that do that. They don't teach from the Bible. They teach from commentaries. They teach from Bible studies. I went to a, and I'm going to pick, I used to be a pastor of an independent independent Baptist church, so I can pick on independent Baptists, right? I went to an independent Baptist church in St. Louis, and the guy was preaching psychology. He didn't even go to the Bible. He was just preaching counseling principles. And I'm thinking, that, what a shame. Because on a Sunday, who are the people that are supposed to be gathering together? Those who are called by Christ's name and are supposed to be glorifying and worshiping Him and supposed to be reminding one another of the things that He's taught them. And as we saw from Nehemiah this morning, what the effect it is when, when a group of people find the Word... And they begin to spend great amount of time reading God's word or what God has declared to them. I've been really challenged by that recently, even um, in my quiet time. And I can't remember exactly where it was from right now. Um, but a seven-year plan of going through God's word. And I'm really praying about this, that looking at a seven-year plan of just preaching God's, God through God's word, period. We did that for one year. We did a one-year quick through it. And... Um, and, and did it on you know Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Wednesday night. 
But I'm really considering that for a seven-year plan, every seven years, every seven years, that we're going through God's Word. Every seven years, we're going through God's Word. We're just, it's God's, and that's all we preach on anyway is God's Word. But that instead of looking at different topics or different books that we're just pulling out, that we're just going to start. Genesis, and that, you know, I've looked at the number of chapters, and we've split that out over seven years, and Lord willing, over the next seven years, we go through it, and whoever's preaching, whoever's teaching, whatever, that's what we're going by. We're going with the Word of God, and, and, and then we're going to read it together, you know, and then we're going to preach it. J. Vernon McGee, it took him five years, so I figured if he, but he had five days a week to do it, so, um, and so, but, you know, how many chapters would that be of us reading? We believe in reading the Word of God. Declaring the word of God. So over seven years, you know, as we get together to read God's word together and that we're reading it. And so you figure if a child is born and he moves out of the house at 21, that theoretically, I know that what do they remember from when they were little. But in those 21 years, as an assembly, they would have been together with an assembly that has read through the word of God together three times and has preached through that word three times. Does that make sense? And so if they're doing it at home and they're doing it at a more rapid pace, you know, how many times then they would have gone through the entirety of the Word of God. It's so important for us for the, for, to be attached to that Word of God so that we know what God declares and we can walk in such a way that there is no doubt. No doubt. Our reflection as a body is so great that when they look at us, they see the cross. Does that make sense? I hope so. Anyways... So, we are to walk worthy. Well, walk worthy of what? We're told there that we're to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The calling wherewith you were called. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. What's this calling? You know, a lot of people talk about a calling. I have a calling. How do you know when you are called? You know, and a lot of times we talk about the calling as what then? Well, no, we, a lot of times we think today we talk about a calling as being, uh, for, uh, yeah, an official, yeah, official ministerial office, a missionary, a pastor, or whatever. How do you know when you have that call? Well, let's talk, let's look at what the Bible talks about as it's called. For 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul states, But we know that the law is good if one uses it, Lawfully. No, I'm sorry. I'm in 1 Timothy, and I told you guys 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy. You stay there. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Remember, we talked about that predestination thing before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, here we're told that he has saved us and called us. Now, I want to ask you a question here. Is Paul talking about himself? Is Paul talking about himself and the men who are with him? Is Paul talking about himself and maybe Timothy and the men who are with him? Or is Paul talking about believers in general? Believers in general. Okay? Because he's talking about who has what? Saved us. Okay? He has saved us, and then he has what? Called us with a what? Holy calling. So, 
this is not applicable not just to Paul. This isn't just to Paul and Silas. This isn't just to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And maybe if you want to throw in Eunice and, um, and T- Timothy's other, you know, his grandma or whatever. This is talking to all believers. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only has God saved you, he has called you with a holy calling. Keep that in your mind. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Paul very clearly tells us that he had an additional calling. And that calling was to be what? An apostle. But then he states that all those who are believers have been sanctified, are in a process of being holified. The word is hagiosmos. It is a participle, and it's derived from the word hagios. Okay? And so therefore it's talking about a process of becoming set apart. The process of becoming holy. But he says that we are being sanctified, right? But then he says, called to be what? Anybody know what the word for saint is? Some of you do. What is it? Hagios. See, the word sanctified is hagiosmos. It's the participle version. It's, it's, the, it's the process part of it. But hagios is the positional side. It is a holy one. When Jesus Christ saved you, He gave you a holy calling. Do you remember? Because that holy calling was to be holy. To be set apart ones. We tend to talk about this a little bit when we talked about the bride of Christ. And how the bride of Christ, that, that his desire for the bride is to be without blemish. Desire for his body is that we would be, if you would, holy. That we would be, if you use the concepts from the Old Covenant, clean. That our body would not be going out there yelling, unclean, unclean, unclean. What was unclean? What were what were things that were unclean? Death. Impurities, death. Things that were not allowed found in the presence of God, who is holy, holy, holy. That's right. Christ desires for his body to be holy. And so he has called each member of the body with a holy calling to be holy, to be sanctified. If I was going to invite you all over tonight for omelets, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? In fact, you know, if you if Southwestern omelets, we could put some cheese in it, a little bit of you know peppers and stuff like that, onions and 
um, little spices and stuff like that. So if you don't like that, I'll make some of those bland stuff for you. And so, but I'm making, and I figured that with all these people, I need to have at least four dozen eggs, right? So, so I'm, 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 I'm putting together, I got it all in the mixer, the beater, and brrrr, and I throw that 48th egg in there, and oh, it was green. Yeah, it had the little white stuff kind of floating with it. But nobody else is here. Nobody else was with me. It doesn't matter. Because once one is mixed into all the 48, they'll never know. You're George. You're a Navy cook. I mean, it, it, no one ever knows. No one. That's why I was in the Army. And that's why, as an officer, as an officer I never ate at the, uh, the, 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 the... Anyways, but... No one would ever know who would know, you know? And, and so you just mix it in. And so I mix it in, and I'm making my omelets, and I'm, you know, doing the short order cook thing, and it's kind of really cool. And, you know, as somebody comes through, you know, Tom's hanging out with me in there, you know, because he's just decided just we're going to hang out a little bit. And so I just kind of drop it on Tom. And, you know, man, you just wouldn't believe what happened to me when I was putting that 48th egg in. And, and, and I just kind of share it. You know, I'm figuring Tom's a guy, too. He doesn't really care. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter, you know. But Tom looks at me and goes, Excuse me, what happened? And I go, well, you know, no big deal. Just one out of 48. I mean, what's the percentage of that? I mean, it's, you know, it's like one out of 50 is 2%. So this is only like, what, 2.1% or whatever? No big deal, you know. And he says, um, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And he says, I'll be right back. <laughs> and so he slides out of the kitchen and he goes in and tells everybody else, Bob got a bad egg in that thing, you know. And uh, how many of you now, you know, now you have knowledge. Before you were looking forward to the omelets. But now somebody just came in and told you one out of 48 eggs were bad. How many of you are going to come in and get an omelet? Not many of you, huh? Probably not any of you. Well, I'll tell them to go get an omelet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom says, I'll tell them to go get an omelet. I'm going to McDonald's. Anyways, um, and so, so you know, what, what's here today? I don't know, 50, 60, 70 people here today. So the odds are better than 48, right? <laughs> what if we were making an omelet today with each of us to be presented to our Lord? How many, how many parts of your body does it take to start to twitch before you realize that there's something wrong with the body? Just one, yeah. Have you ever felt a tick in your eye? Doesn't it bother you? Have you ever stubbed your little toe and it bothered you? In order for the whole to be whole, it requires the parts to be whole. And we've got to understand that our call is a call to holiness. And so Paul says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I believe the call for God in my life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that image is the image of holiness. Jesus said, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Just as individually the goal in my life ought to be perfection and holiness, so the goal for us as a body, a local body, ought to be holiness. That doesn't mean we go on witch hunts. But it does mean that we are seeking to be holy before God and not wanting to embrace sin. We are called to be holy ones. Secondly, we're told here in Ephesians 4, 
verse 2, because you see that the verb, let me explain what I'm doing here too, because I, I didn't explain it very well. The verb for this whole passage here is to walk worthy, okay? And so um, the, the first descriptor of that walking worthy is of the calling with which you're called. The second descriptor is verse 2, that we are to walk worthy with all lowliness and gentleness. We are to walk worthy with humility, with humbleness, with humbleness. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians 2. I'll read through verses 3 to 5. Paul talking again to the assembling. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one of you, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are called to walk with humility, humbleness, and meekness toward one another. It is fitting. It is appropriate. It is a basic summary of truth that cannot be disputed. That those who have the mind of Christ, that those who are following in the steps of their Savior, will emulate his life. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, that's our word there for meekness, and lowly in heart, with all lowliness and um, what does it say Ephesians 4? My mind's just blanking out on me right now. With all lowliness and gentleness. Those are the exact same words in the Greek that are there. Jesus says he is. He's lowly and gentle. And he says, all those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come to him, and, and he, will get, he will give you rest because this is what he is. And if he is this, if he is lowly and meek, if he is lowly and gentle, then those who are his followers will also be lowly and gentle. They will seek to be servants of one another. It will be a, if you would, no da. I hate that when my kids say that. So here I am using it in a message. But, but it communicates, you know, to this generation. I mean, it, it's something that when people look at you and they see it, it should be no doubt who you are and who you're following. Finally, we're told there in verse 3 of Ephesians 4 that we're supposed to be walking worthy by endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That those who are truly seeking church growth, true church growth, will also be seeking to walk worthy of the calling with which they are called, with loneliness and humility and gentleness, by seeking to keep peace and unity in the body. Note the first word of verse 3. Endeavoring. Endeavoring. What does it mean to endeavor? Purpose. Okay. But how about determination? I'm endeavoring to climb Mount 
Everest. So, is it a flippant decision? No, I'm endeavoring. I have an endeavor that I'm on. In other words, it's something that I have planned, it's something that I have determined, and it's something that I am committed toward. I am making a determined effort to do something. I'm endeavoring. I'm endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity. Now, I don't think that this is a capital S. I know in New King James there's a capital S there, but in the Greek there's really no, no capital uh, P there that tells me that this is talking about the Holy Spirit. I think this is just talking about the spirit within the body, that I'm endeavoring to keep a spirit of unity here in a bond of peace. Now, what is the spirit of unity in the bond of peace built upon? Oneness. Oneness. Now look at verses 4 down to verse 7. What's the oneness? There is one body, one spirit, that is Holy Spirit, just as you are called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And we have too many people in the church today, not necessarily Family Bible Church, but in the church today, who are dividing the church over minors. It drives me bonkers of what becomes division, divisive doctrine in the church. I'll pick on us, because we're family Bible church, and so we have that word family in it. But this family-oriented stuff, or family, um, family-integrated movement. I'm all for family integration. I'm all for family-oriented stuff. You guys know that. And yet, that movement has become divisive and judgmental. Here I am. We're listed on the site. But I'm going to be straight up. When people start to make comments that they are the true church and that people who don't meet in such a way are not biblical and they have no ground to stand on, it's divisive. It's divisive in the church. It's not unifying to the church. And we are told that the body, we are supposed to be seeking Unity in a bond of peace, not division. And I'm not trying to be divisive in bringing that up. I, really, I just want us to understand. We have got, I mean, I'm okay with family integrated churches. I, I'm very good with it. You know, it's like when I, I, I've talked to other people, you know, about King James only people. When I talk to them, missionaries call me on the, on the phone and I know where they're from, from the mission board. And I know certain mission boards that are King James only. And I just, I'm straight with them. I don't have a problem with you, but I think you're going to have a problem with us. You know, because I preach from the New King James. We don't have a problem with someone standing up and, and, and reading out of the new, uh, the new heretical version. I mean, I'm sorry, the New International Version. You know, and I don't, um, that's tongue in cheek. But that's what they, I mean, honestly, that's what, from that perspective, that's what they would call that. Okay? And um, and so I I tell them, I don't, I, I can embrace you. I don't care if you use the King James Version. It doesn't bother me at all. But I know you have a problem with me using the version I use. That's a problem. Do you get it? I mean, we are dividing over minor points. Think about the doctrine, the doctrine that Paul comes back to. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one spirit. In fact, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I'm fearful that someone may come in with another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit. And you may very well accept them. Isn't it interesting? He didn't get into a lot of the subpoints 
of, of where we split churches over? I mean, if they were a big deal, why couldn't he have said that? I'm fearful that someone may come in with another Shabbat day for you. He didn't say that. He says, I'm fearful that you come in with a different Jesus. Or a different gospel. Or a different Holy Spirit. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And here we are, and we're dividing over issues that are in God's hands and not our own. It means we need to make an effort, and we need to be seeking to be one. And so the question I have for us, three questions that I have for myself and for us, are you truly seeking to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called? If you are called by his name, if you are a believer, are you honestly, before God, seeking to be holy? Peter declares, it's not just Old Testament, Peter declares that we are to be holy, even as God is holy. Secondly, are you walking in humility and in meekness? Are you putting the value and desires of others above yourself? And thirdly then, are you endeavoring to maintain the unity of peace in the assembly? And I'm speaking specifically of this assembly. I can't endeavor to keep the unity of peace in all the other facilities that are going on right now. Are you endeavoring to keep and maintain unity in this assembly. This assembly. We chuckle, you know. You know, and I don't want to pick on little kids and say Satan has them. Because we do it too, you know. But it's amazing how easy it is for us to be what? Distracted from what our purpose really is. And become focused on ourselves, myself. Rather than be focused on you. And what Jesus wants this group to accomplish. That's why I praise the Lord this week that God brought me to that realization that I got to go back small. I, I don't want to be big as a business because becoming big is distracting from my focus on what my purpose really ought to be. And I need to get back to my basic priorities. And I need to, to keep focus on the purpose. But even good things, quote unquote, Satan will use to try to distract us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you have desired for us to be considered the body of Christ. To be interconnected with you, the one who created the heavens and the earth. That we would move at your impulse that we would be guided by your wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would seek on our part to be connected and to be yearning for and hungering for your direction. That we would not seeking to be glorifying ourselves, but you are head. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I think of even with the decisions we have coming up with the facility. Lord, that you would give us wisdom to know if it's where you would have us to, to meet. If it is a property that you would have us use. And Lord, that if it's the case that you would open up the door for the purchase of it, even when we don't have the funds to do it. 
And if it's not, then you would guide that as well. Lord, I pray that as individuals and families within this assembly, that we would desire to set our focus and attention upon you, that we would desire to be holy as you are holy, that we would be humble and gentle as you are, and that we would seek to have unity in our homes and seeking unity in the assembly, that you would receive the glory. In Christ's name, amen.